You're listening to Denver Orbit, featuring voices. I'm going to give you an awkwardly long and uncomfortable list of reasons why you shouldn't shave outside. Stories. Now, he was very outspoken about the effects of, of war on himself. The music from Colorado's creative community. Listen at DenverOrbit.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or most other podcast apps. The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. Start the show! Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 204. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I invite back an old friend. He was on the show about three and a half years ago, nearly four at this point, which is crazy, 129 episodes ago. And his name is Jake Brown. Now, at the time, Jake Brown had a lot of gigs going on. He was the pot critic at the Denver Post. He was the host and creator of the game show called Uncalled For. He was the co-host of the show Whiskey and Cigarettes, which won Westward Reader's Choice for Best Denver Podcast three years in a row, a mantle I took from him after those three years. He also founded a startup called Hempbox, which we talk about very briefly in this episode. We didn't talk about it at all three and a half years ago. But he brings it up here, and he was a little bit early to market with it. All those gigs, gone. He's not doing any of them right now. And we spend the first part of this episode talking about what happened with them. What happened to Spot Critic at the Denver Post? What happened to Uncalled For? How did the culture of comedy change and necessitating a wind-down of that show? We talk about what Whiskey and Cigarettes is up to now. But more importantly, we focus on his gig. He is the co-founder of The Grow-Off. And the simplest way to describe the grow-off is it's like Iron Chef, but for weed. Essentially, anyone who wants to enter all grows the same strain, and they find out who does it best. They all have different techniques. What kind of lighting are you using? What kind of water? What kind of soil or you know media are you using for that? And then the results are judged based on yield, based on potency, and based on flavor. It's such a cool concept, and I always love featuring cannabis businesses on here because anytime you can talk to a new industry, the learning is so great. I say on this episode, the learning curve is geometric. Things happen very, very rapidly, and it's really exciting. And Jake has worked in the cannabis industry for so long now. He was a bud tender. He worked for dispensaries. He was the Denver Post pot critic, and now he's doing the grow off. It's very, very exciting, and I'm thrilled to reconnect with him. On a personal note, Jake is just a good dude and someone I always enjoy talking with. He always had great hustle about him and always championed his projects very vociferously. That is a reflex that doesn't come very naturally to me. So to get to see that in the flesh has always been really, really helpful for me championing my businesses. We'll get to that episode here in just a second, but first, I'd like to give some love to our sponsor, 
Four Degrees is the company that has been with me from the beginning. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The founder of that company is Zach Kanaus. And Zach is someone who is inspirational to me. And in fact, was the one to push me over the edge and encourage me to go out on my own and start Deft Communications. When Zach started Four Degrees, he did that almost nine years ago now. And he's had all manner of clients. Does a lot of political campaigns, does some issue campaigns, but also has accounts in the retail space. He'll do promotions, he'll do online advertising, he'll do social media marketing, and there is no one better out there. And the reason I thought of him right now is because he's done marketing for cannabis businesses. So no matter what your business is, Zach can help you get the message right and then help you get it in front of the people who need to see it most that will most make a difference to your bottom line. I'm proud to feature the work of Four Degrees here on the John of All Trades podcast, so do me a favor and check them out. No matter what you're doing online, you could be doing it better with the help of Four Degrees. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Now then, let's get on to episode 204. I've got Jake Brown. He's coming back for a second tour of duty here with the John of All Trades podcast. He is the co-founder of The Grow Off, and his episode starts right now. When I would hear from people, good Lord, sure. um, having some feedback and having people that have real problems reach out to me makes everything feel a little bit more consequential. Right. And I guess I miss that about working in dispensaries because when I started, it was all medical. And so I'm working with people yeah. that have real problems as well as the 22-year-old kid with severe pain. Um, sure. and, and so being able to talk to people, I still get a message every day on Facebook or an email saying, my aunt just got diagnosed with cancer. I am a vet with PTSD who can't sleep at night. And the volume of that is just kind of, it's come down. Sure, but yeah. It, feeling like you're helping people, um, e even if it's just, yeah, I'm the guy that reviews weed. <laughs> right, is, right. There's, a, there's some cool angles. To it. Well, yeah, I mean, the crazy thing about being the, the weed reviewer and being the first one in the country is that for a major daily newspaper? For a major daily newspaper, what, right? Patty Calhoun at, at Westford will kill you if she hears you say that. No, you, that, that's a fair point. Um, <laughs> I left out the back, the predicate of that sentence, the important <laughs> predicate of that sentence. <laughs> but with that said, uh, you know, people tend to look at that for for a major daily newspaper because, uh, yeah, you're right. The Westward has been doing this forever, uh, to their credit. And, and high times. I mean, there were all and, kinds of outlets that were doing it, just no one that had the gravitas of a double-digit Pulitzer Prize-winning paper. Right, right, right. So I imagine, you know, that drew people to you necessarily because they go, oh, wow, here's someone with some credibility. Like, And, and that's why I think the hollowing out of the Denver Post is so sad to me. Oh, we were, I was just looking back at the rolling papers credits because somebody was like, you should do a rolling papers too and see where everybody's at. Oh boy. There's only one person that's listed in the credits that's still at the Denver Post and it's John Wenzel, their arts and entertainment reporter who wasn't even part of the cannabis. No, I mean, it, he, and he, uh, what a, what an incredible reporter and one of my favorite people. By yeah, good <laughs> yeah. Mercedes Wenz. I love that guy. You call him Mercedes Wenz? I yeah, never heard his that. face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but okay, so did you get out of the post before uh, the cannabis like went to all like wire articles? 
the writing was on the wall. I left maybe a couple months before okay. they just stopped staffing people. When you're losing staff and nobody is being hired to replace them, yeah. you see what's happening. And we fell from the number one cannabis trafficked site in the world, wow. uh, according to Comscore, to a ghost in a machine. Jeez. And it still didn't pay shit, did it? No. God, no. Uh- <laughs> Like, that's the remarkable thing. The the amount of web traffic that you all got and, and the amount of sort of prestige that was associated with being the first major daily newspaper to cover this industry, it still didn't pay anything, right? Classic story of a dinosaur, though, trying to evolve. This was the mm. Denver Post that was trying to go more digital, trying to embrace cannabis, but they didn't have a sales staff that knew how to sell cannabis to oh, anybody. Right. Whenever they needed ad dollars, they would go to American Furniture Warehouse or <laughs> Car Dealership X and just like, say, cost okay. a check, and they're like, yes, because that's all we know. Whereas, like, when I was at the end of the road with the, the cannabis, they were trying to figure out how to pivot out of video. Okay, and this is this is 2017. <laughs> no one's pivoting out of video. It right. was completely ridiculous. But Leanne, who I believe she's I mean, she's the editor in chief, something like that, said they never made a dime on the cannabis. It's like that wasn't our fault. Yeah, no kidding, right? You, <laughs> you, you didn't know how to capitalize on this traffic and and monetize that appropriately. Yeah, that ain't on us here. Ooh, and and they had no issue with saying that openly. And they were trying to push more resources into the no, which I think is great. But sure. it was an, one of those chances for a hedge fund to put money into something that was clearly paying dividends, if not in the short term, in the long term. Right. But they kept scaling back and saying, do more with less. Wow. That's how you fail. Yeah. God love the Denver Post. I've, I've talked to Wenzel about this. I'm like, dude, I don't know how to support this. Like. I, I don't feel great about it, you know, because I have a subscription. It's important in my line of work to, you know, be up on that. So I have my subscription. You're getting the trades. That's right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's like I should know the, the papers in the town in which I'm doing public relations for. Sure. But I'm like, dude, I don't feel good about it because they keep laying people off. And we were at, I think it was both of our wives were in the same high school class together. So we were at their high school reunion. And we're just outside, like, talking about this. And he goes, dude, believe me, I, I don't even know how to feel, and I work there. Sure. So, anyway, tough issue. Uh, so, if it weren't obvious before, it is now. This is Jake Brown. Hey, everybody. <laughs> What's up, Denver Podcast Network? <laughs> hey. Uh, what a plug. Fantastic. Shout out to the DPN. You've been on the show before, and that was, good Lord, that was like three years ago at this point. It's crazy how things change. <laughs> And and what's funny is I was thinking about this because, like, you and I have remained Facebook friends. I don't think we've seen each other in person since then. No. Which is wild. But we're both sort of running down our own tracks. And, like, I'll send you a Facebook message occasionally. Sometimes it's about weed and sometimes it's about, like, I won that Westward Award after Whiskey and Cigarettes had won the three years. And I'm like, dude, you you don't always know when you inspire people, but your hustle inspired me to, like, what? really hustle my own podcast. John X, come on. <laughs> And so, like, we've kept in touch. And what's funny is when you were on the show last time, you were doing Uncalled For, yep, Pot Critic for Denver Post, yeah, and Whiskey and Cigarettes Podcast. Check. Those were the three main things, I think. Not doing any of them now, right? No. I took a, a strong right turn. <laughs> yeah. No joke, man. <laughs> it's weird. So Whiskey and Cigarettes exists in some capacity at this point. Okay. The boys, you know, they get a wild hair. They put out an episode every sure. once in a while. At one point, I said, if we can't release this consistently, 
I can't do it anymore because right. we have listeners that are like, what's going on? And so I said, hey, take it, run with it, boys. It's all yours. And to their credit, they've had some great episodes and, you know, I wish them the best of luck. But it's more like a hobby. It, it does Sure. It's come a long way from where it was. Sure. And uncalled for zach moss is still running that at comedy works okay. and since i'm not a comedy works regular i can't be involved with the show so i said okay have fun with that it was great to be touring with that as a festival show for a sure. while now it's really great to not have any of the stress mm -hmm. uh, we just have boxes of merch and that's fine <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And Denver Post, we've been we've covered that. I mean, yeah, yeah. RIP. There's no one that writes for that site now. It just aggregates from their main content. So what's interesting to me is on this show, I, I end up spending a lot of time talking about the journey and sort of the ascent to wherever people are at that particular moment. What I don't do as frequently, and I'm learning has value, is the journey doesn't end there. Like once you get to a place, once you get to sort of where you think you want to be. Because the intro of this show, it says, you know, you've all made it to the dance, right? And so I'm talking to people There's with some that degree cool of success. Piano sound, right? You know, everybody's getting hyped up, and sometimes I feel like let's just get more song. Uh, <laughs> but now, now they have to listen to me. It, yeah, well, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the sizzle comes at the beginning, I suppose. Now, now we're in the steak. Maybe we're eating our vegetables. I don't know. Like however, you, however you want to couch it. It's the journey of the meal. That's. <laughs> That's the new tagline for the show. It's perfect. <laughs> the journey of the meal. What's interesting is I, I rarely talk to people about how they wind things down and then move into something else. I've done that a couple of times. Sure. And we talked about the post. I mean, you saw the writing on the wall there. But in terms of uncalled for, I remember there was some some challenges there. You know, you, you put something out. There were some competing sort of shows with that. Oh, yeah. But what I'm curious about is how – you know it's time to move, and what did that journey look like for you? That is a great question. We very much saw the writing on the wall with the type of comedy that Uncalled For was, which was very much on the edge, very very much pushing people's comfort limits. Right. And we live in a different era of comedy now. And mm -hmm. this show, to call it blue would be an insult to things that are already pretty lewd. This was an offensive comedy game show. And we looked at it. We said, not all of this content we can stand behind. We looked at cards that we had had to reject previously. And, and like, well, why did we draw the boundary there uh, as opposed to so much further down the road? And we looked at legally even – okay, how much longer can we produce content that has to look totally different than everyone's favorite card game, Crabs Adjust Humidity? <laughs> and they were getting more and more litigious with people that were involved. And it was uh. like, there's so much effort going into something that we love to do, but is becoming increasingly problematic for us. Mm. And being able to just take like a long look at it and go... Well, we have a new business that's taking off. We are doing less and less in the comedy space. Which one was that at the time? That was the grow-off. Okay, the grow-off. Okay. Yep. Perfect. And then we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We looked at it and we said, this would be a great opportunity for Zach, who had originally been my co-host, to take it and run with it. And that's very much on brand for him. Sure. But the show was just at a point that I didn't feel like it reflected who I was. 
Uh. And that's tough because I think that that one of my favorite parts about the show is it got really challenged people to think differently about things that were very, very sad and tragic. Sure. Um, abortion and terrorism and religion. And it really wanted to push buttons, but not in a way that ever really punched down. You're right, right. I feel like we're really good about that part, but it was getting to the point where, like, Zach had a girlfriend break up with him. Oh, no, oh really? she, she stormed out of the Oriental Theater, which is problematic in its own right. Uh, during what, then it's called the, the Oriental shows. Theater? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, she she left in the middle of one of his shows because she was like, I can't believe that you guys made a joke about rape. And the joke was not about rape. The right. joke was about something, and the word rape was included. But we realized that... We have to be really, really careful about what we do and how this impacts the people that we love and that right. <laughs> knew what we were doing. And we're like, this has gone too far. Yeah. Well, it, okay. That's an interesting question because I did the 48-hour film project last year again, and we wrote a movie. Uh, we drew like school drama, you know, how you draw genres out of a hat. And you were like, school rape. No. <laughs> <laughs> What we did. See, that's not a that's not a rape joke, though. No, no, no. It's a terrible forty eight hour film. And so, no. What we did was we did a movie about crisis actors. So, like, like what a school for crisis actors would actually look like. That's funny to me. Exactly. But here's the thing: when we were writing it, we were in the writers' room, and we went back and forth about this a lot because the whole movie is a commentary on gun control. Like, I'll spoil the ending right now. Like, and the the joke is not about it's not making fun of the tragedies it's not making fun of of things that happen it's making fun of a culture that facilitates these awful things to happen and and you're trying to essentially and this is why i'm bringing this up this is what uncalled for was about it's getting people to look at things in a new way and maybe recontextualize some previously held beliefs or some some preconceived notions or some thoughts that maybe get us to a better place culturally. Is that fair to say? But was that getting lost in the noise? Like yeah. in, in sort of the overt offensiveness of it of the jokes on their face? You start to get people that are laughing for the wrong reasons. Oh no. Okay. And and that's when you go, This isn't what I want to be a part of. Right. Because when and and you hear it and Depends on which city you're in or where you're at or people that refuse to laugh even though they know it's funny. Uh, but just somebody that is is laughing at what you're trying to parody sure. is very disconcerting. Right. It's like the band Rise Against. I read an interview with them where they said, you know, we make really aggressive music, but it's got this message behind it. You know, it's sort of anti-war. It's anti like factory farming and all that. But, you know, when we hear from these really aggro dudes who are like, yeah, we play this music in our tank, like in the army. And we're like, oh, geez, like, like we realize we have that aesthetic and that's going to draw a certain type of person. But that's not the message behind our music. And they, they don't know what to do with that. But I mean, that's a that's a tough thing, because once you release something out into the public, it ultimately no longer belongs to you, which is why I empathize with you walking away. Yeah, it's the it's the artist's creation struggle. Yeah. And is anyone can take what you do and interpret their it their entirely own way. Yeah. And there there has to be some kind of tipping point. And for me <laughs> we had tipped and right. I think 
when we were challenging comedians too, some of them loved doing the show and then other people were clearly less comfortable once they had heard what everybody else was saying. And so at one point, one of the comics that did the show was offended uh, at a card that some, that one of the other panelists had written about them. Oh, geez. And it, it's something that happened all the time, but it was something where it was a blind spot where we were like, oh, this is two people that obviously know each other giving them – giving each other a little guff. Sure. And let something slide that we probably shouldn't have. Uh-huh. And so there was also – you know, we were getting caught up in it too. And – it's the, um, you know, real cautionary tale. I miss hosting the show because it was so much fun. We It was very loose, and, um, and and we had a chance to hang out with so many really, really talented comedians. But it still lives on, and it's yeah. just I'm, I'm glad that I'm not as much of a part of it. Sure. I mean, do you miss – because back when, when we talked before, your podcast host, you're hosting this game show – you know, you're on the road doing it at festivals, you're pot critic, you're sort of out front in a lot of ways. And now much more so you're a little bit more behind the scenes. You're not as much of a public figure as you used to be. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of being an old man too. Uh, <laughs> you know, once you hit like your mid thirties, you're like, oh yeah, I'm not the front man anymore. Mm-hmm. There are so many other projects that would benefit more from me being behind the scenes. I shot a pilot for a weed TV show earlier this year. Right, out in California, right? Yeah, but it was still really weird to be the guy that was front and center because I'm now, you know, I'm 36, so I'm twice the age of somebody who just graduated high school. We don't identify with each other as much (laughs) anymore as, you know, as much as I would love to have the, my finger on the pulse of the youth. I, I, I don't know who most bands are anymore. Like Coachella lineup comes out and I'm like, yeah, if you should just give me flashcards, I would tell you that like a third of them were bands. Did you, do you ever uh, look at a festival poster and play this game with your friends sometime? Go down and see which line you stop recognizing. It's, two. Games at. it's, <laughs> it's now it's, in line two. Some, some of them are two. I'm like, I, Casey Musgraves is a person, I think. Yeah. Um, But now I saw her on line two, and I'm like, never heard. I I know what I know her from. She sings that uh, that goofy Christmas song, I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. I don't know that song. (laughs) No, it's a kid. You wouldn't know that song because it's a kid's song. Okay, fair. And so, uh, for like small children, yes. not the kids, proverbial. Oh, no, 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 no. Not like, not like the youth. Sure. But for like children, right? Yeah. And so we listened to that in the car. I'm like, wow, she has a delightful voice. Who is this? And my wife's like, Casey Musgraves. And I go, who the hell is that? The hippo song was the one where you're like, and the vocals on this? Mwah, spectacular. Yeah. Dude, her voice is silky. Yeah. I mean, it's delightful. And apparently she smokes a ton of weed with Willie Nelson. That's cool as hell. So, so I mean, there's that part of, because like transitioning into like i'm gonna be 40 soon and knowing that that having me out front isn't necessarily the service that it once was i don't know if it ever was it's not gonna be the draw is what you're saying right i'm getting into like the age when guys start getting like late night shows and i feel like late night show age is a very special time in a young man in in a a almost middle-aged man's life (laughs) you can't say middle-aged yet john damn it Yeah. Well, no, especially with how long people are freaking living now, which uh, exactly, yeah, dude, it's madness, it's terrifying. So I just look at if I'm to the point where I'm, I would be telling kind of irreverent uh, monologue jokes, <laughs> then right? that's like I'm transitioning into that. 
dad jokes portion of my life. Yeah, I got you. All right. Well, we alluded to it, but you mentioned the grow off. <laughs> and, and that started while you were still kind of doing this other stuff. What led to the formation of that? All right. So you're familiar with the premise of Iron Chef. Oh, yeah. So everyone comes out and they do the big – they uh, remove the cloche and show the secret ingredient. Yeah. And it's like asparagus. And in the grow-off, we were like, what if we could do that but just with weed? And so everyone has to grow the same weed. They can saute it, fry it, do whatever they want to to make their weed, uh, grow their weed the best. But ultimately, it would be the first test of how well can somebody grow it. And it was a build a better mousetrap thing where we had seen that there were a lot of product competitions where everyone would bring, you know, their best vegetarian dish to the table. But it wasn't everybody doing asparagus. And so it it was very much, oh, kale's in vogue right now. So the kale dish wins and very temperamental. And we wanted to approach it and say, what can we do now that the science is better? And what can we do that's completely legal? That was another big problem is that a lot of the competitions (laughs) that existed operated in a gray to black market area. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Even ones that worked with licensed regulated companies. So it was this kind of confluence of watching too many cooking shows and then putting together, oh, yeah, and with the science that's out there now, we could do this without anybody ever getting high. We can do this all by test results and make it totally objective. So just lab tests. Yeah, lab tests. It's so weird to be go from the pot critic to running the competition where no one gets high. <laughs> like, this seems all, all wrong. You yeah. could do this. You could be the one judge. <laughs> yeah. There. Okay. It's like, oh, hey, fun. Uh, but no, uh, it's... I mean, essentially, it's like uh, catch and release fishing. You you get to catch the fish, but no, you're not going to eat it. Yeah, and it works out better because with these other competitions where they have the quote-unquote judges that go and smoke like 40 different types of weed in 24 hours. Sounds terrifying. Yeah. They, the product companies and the farms are required to donate a pound to several pounds, so several thousand dollars, plus pay an entry fee on top of that, wow. all so that these companies can turn around and sell their product to their judges. It was a completely broken system where we said, okay, just give us you know, 10 grams mm-hmm. so that we can have it tested, sell the rest of it. This is your hard work, and we'll essentially act as the marketing company that brings people in to buy it nice. and, and get people excited because you're going to spend six months doing this you should be able to reap the benefits. Okay. So the the premise is fascinating because you, you pull back you know the curtain and you're revealing what exactly? So we are essentially a data company that okay. runs a cannabis growing competition. So right. we know what kind of lighting they use. Uh, are they using soil or no, cocoa I know, but or you're, hydro? Are, are you revealing you're revealing like a seed or like a plant or so uh, so, so the way they, it works is that yeah. When people grow your favorite weed, they have what they call mother plants. Sure. And these are plants that are never sent into flowers. So they'll never actually produce buds. They just grow big and bushy. And then from that, they take cuttings. And those cuttings become the next generation of plants that you do wind up smoking eventually. 
And so when we take the cuttings off of this mom, they're all genetically identical. Okay. And then those cuttings go out to a, a massive all number of all – the, All the competitors get Got two it. to start in case they mess one of them up. If they mess <laughs> both of them up, not the competition for them. And <laughs> it's then, not your day. Yeah. And, and then they get to experiment and try out however they want to cultivate it. Okay. And so we're, we're learning about – what makes the best cannabis grown? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And what have you found? So, so far, our cocoa, cocoa core, uh, basically kind of coconut husks are one of the best mediums to grow in for indoor growers. We have learned that people that use a variety of spectrums of lights. So everyone thinks, oh, you just put it under a light, then it goes from there. Well, there are some people that are introducing different color spectrums in there to more, to more accurately create the sun it's a really really hard resource water okay pretty easy sure um but yeah the sun turns out very difficult we even have people that will put their one of their lights on a track that will move throughout the day oh as if the sun is or or we're orbiting the sun wow and so we're, we're learning things like that but all of it is very specific to the strain for that round. So we try and do something very different all of the time. And we're just drawing kind of these circles, these Venn diagrams and yeah. trying to see what hits right in the middle. Wow. Um, and so of the, the first one you did, how many competitors did you get into it? I want to say, God, that was like three years ago now. Uh, I want to say we had 45 and 32 finished. Okay. And how many now? Our most recent one was Northern California. We have the awards coming up in one week, and we had 65 enter, 39 made it to the finish line. Nice. So we see about a 33% attrition rate no matter where, where you are. Oh, it's and like inviting people to a wedding. <laughs> expect about a third. <laughs> and then what are we going to do with all this fish? No, no. Um, you want people, like, having done a wedding? I know you're sort of in perpetual engagement. Yes. <laughs> but uh, when you do a wedding, you're like, okay, how many – we need more people to say that they can't come. <laughs> because otherwise they're going to blow our budget out of the water. Sure. We always want to see people get to the finish line, but we also understand that – Having absolutely no information about this new plant that comes into your facility, people are going to fuck up. And <laughs> there, there are going to be um, small fuck-ups and big fuck-ups. There are times when someone has had to kill an entire room because of pests and their oh, grow-off plants go with that. There was somebody that was robbed. Um, there was a Colorado Springs company that had a car drive through the side of their, oh, uh, their crow. And the the plant was negatively affected, to say the least. Get out. <laughs> so I, there are all of these variables that people don't think about when it comes to cultivation. It, sure. It's so, so hard. But that's also one of the, the best things about what we get to do is really start to show people what the journey of – being a grower is like because I think people have this monolithic view of who grows weed and it's like this guy in his mid-20s that's like still in a parent's basement long hair don't care and instead we're finding that it's moms and scientists and veterans and there is this this beautiful variety of people that are like I'm attracted to growing cannabis and it's hard but it's also rewarding that sounds cool. So the judging criteria, you have this listed on your website, and this will all be linked in the John of All Trades companion blog piece, but there's a number of criteria by which you award winners and prizes. What are those? So we do 
Highest total cannabinoids, so that would be your potency. Sure. And we'll see everything from THC, which is the psychoactive component, sometimes CBD. We are we just found uh, some really interesting data about CBG and CBGA, which looks like it's a precursor to know exactly when you should harvest. Huh. We had somebody come up with Delta-8 THC, so there's a, a wide number of things that a cannabis plant can uh, express. Second one is terpenes, and this is flavor. And this was one of the big game changers for us because everyone said, well, you can't have a cannabis competition unless everyone gets to smoke it and see, you know, which one's the best. And we're like, no, actually, you can now test for all of these flavor components. It's really easy. <laughs> and so we we managed to kind of change the paradigm. And more there. fun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there are still people that are like, I want to judge, and you guys are frauds for not letting me. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Tell your YouTube followers, I yeah. guess. <laughs> um, and then we do one that is just uh, total harvest weight. So okay. what did you manage to grow, uh, trim, cure up, and – that has led to some crazy innovations where you have a company like The Clinic, which has been operating for coming up on a decade here in Colorado, that based on their experience with the grow-off, completely changed their cultivation. Wow. So instead of growing larger number of smaller plants, started doing a smaller number of large plants, tripled their yield numbers Wow! after their second grow-off competition. Because this pushes people to say, what, what's possible? Yeah. We, we don't need you to do it the same way you always do it. If there is some tricked out nutrient that you have never tried before, here's your chance. Yeah, totally. And, and people are learning something about what they preconceived. It's really rewarding to see that. So it's like a, it's a safe opportunity and, and also like a, a golden opportunity to try new things and innovate your own business where otherwise you may not have been pushed to do that because, I mean – you, you have a way of doing things, and that's comfortable, right? And sometimes it's trying to convince ownership that, hey, we need to invest in these new products. Let me show you what we can do. There's also an element where people want to stick with what's familiar. You know, if you qualified for the Masters golf and somebody was like, all right, you're going to go in with a brand new set of clubs. Yeah. Guys, freak out! We're, we're going to change the grip on yeah, your putting, exactly. right? It's, it's like not fun, you yeah, know. No, go out and rip it. Trust me, you're going to putt better this way. And it's like, whoa, not now. No, like, yeah, I got gotcha. you. And all so right. it's tough. We, we have sponsors that create nutrients, lighting, all kinds of different products. And so, what's nice is we'll give them the two clones and say. Hey, try something that you would never normally do on your second one. See if you get results. And it's a way to A-B test for growers. Mm. And it's a way to for us to do almost a clinical trial where no one has ever done something like this before in the history of cannabis. Nice. There are a lot of people that have sour diesel, but these sour diesels come from a lot – wide variety of places one of them was after a fish show the other was a denny's parking lot and you don't know if these are in any way genetically linked right. they're part of different breeding projects so to be able to really compare apples to apples is fascinating and yeah. for them because no one knows where they stack up everybody sure. thinks that they know but it's <laughs> it's all so subjective and so for us to say well, out of these 40 people, you finished first in yield, you finished dead last in potency, and fourth from last in, in flavor. So you're growing a bunch of really, really bad weed. <laughs> and they go, okay, well. Yeah, you've got a shitload of it. 
<laughs> but it sucks. Right. God, that's funny. What's so fascinating to me, and this is why I always love talking to people in the cannabis industry, because when you can catch anything on the upswing, the learning curve is so great. I mean, you're learning at a geometric rate at this point. Everyone is learning so much. And I think about, I, I have a friend, I'm not going to name who it is because she has like a real job. And but it's a lady. <laughs> it is. Okay. It is a lady. <laughs> um, narrows it down by 46%. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And uh, she said, I remember buying an eighth in college. And now when I go buy one legally, I'm like, oh, the eighth that I got in college wasn't actually an eighth because so many people had taken some out. <laughs> you know, Everyone like everyone gets their pinch. That's right. Also, this is when she was in college. I feel like you can name her. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But uh, she's talking about buying now. OK. Yeah. I mean, there's everyone had to get their piece. I mean, that right. was the supply chain, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what it was. But, what, I mean, what you're talking about sounds like, since no one has ever done this before, you know, you're, you're changing a lot of the business fundamentals of cannabis. And has that been reflected in the feedback that you've gotten from people? Oh, we are constantly drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. And when we have an opportunity to give back substantial data, then that is something where everybody is so appreciative because you look at what was an underground economy. There was no access to the even lab testing that we have now, right? So sure. much guesswork and to be almost an open source of information. And then to be able to say, Hey, we, we may be a data company, but we are altruistic. We want to see everybody get better. And by leaps and bounds. Yeah. Rising tide lifts many boats here. Absolutely. And when we can, can kick that back to them and say, hey, what you thought your secret sauce was, A, everyone's doing it, and B, it's really bad. (laughs) And B, it ain't so – A, it's not so secret. And B, it ain't that great a sauce. It's not sauce, (laughs) actually. It's Gatorade. Quit giving your plants that. It's not the electrolytes they need. It's what makes plants grow. (laughs) But the hard part is there are so many variables. We're looking at – when we put this to our data scientists, they go, well, we can kind of show you correlations here. We definitely can't give you causation. So mm-hmm. the big part of that is kicking it back to them and saying, hey, we found that if you have a five-inch circumference on your stock, that's a really good predictor of potency. Or it might not be. <laughs> See, yeah. Give it a shot. Yeah. Give it a shot. Like, like control for that. Mm-hmm. And, and then you learn more. Exactly. And now that – we're also building historic data. So, yeah. you know, after one competition, eh, we don't know shit. Uh, now that we're coming up on our seventh, yeah. we're learning and learning and learning. And now to even introduce things like uh, machine learning and neural networks wow. into that and saying, here's all this data that we have from these companies. Here's what their finished product looks like. Can this machine tell us anything about these inputs and whether or not they produce an output? Mm. Can it say, can it look at a picture of cannabis and say, this one will have more flavor than another? Mm. (laughs) Can machines do that? We're still finding out. But to be on the cutting edge of that and to, to feel like you have a place in cannabis history potentially is so crazy because that's where we all, we're, we're still at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, what did you go to school for? Uh, well, it was kind of a made-up degree. They called it That's e-business cool. management. Okay. So it was this tech school, and they wanted to combine marketing with kind of computer programming, more back-end. Okay. So it was essentially to become a project manager somewhere down the road. Sure. So. Okay. So you surprised me with that answer. Um, 
<laughs> I did surprised myself. <laughs> but uh, the reason I bring it up is is because I tell this story a lot when I'm working, and in school I was not great in math and science. Oh God, no! Bane of my existence. And so. And so I got my degree in speech communication, got a master's, a bachelor's in that. And now what I spend most of my day doing is explaining math and science to people. <laughs> and so what's the funny explaining is... explaining parts, like I feel like that's the part that I get excited about. No, I agree. And, and that's important. And it's like, okay, if I can understand this, I can turn this into something that makes sense to other people. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is, you know, I... Think of you the first time we met as, you know, working in comedy, working in journalism. And what you just described to me is entirely about data science. And you bring up machine learning. It's such a funny pivot to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because you, you never know where life is going to lead you. Sure. Whereas, you know, I'm explaining geology to people every single day. I was terrible at geology. And so has this change in skill set? been challenging for you or did it happen fairly organically i want to always hire the person that is smarter than me in the area that i that i'm curious about Mm. and so being able to put the right people in place and to give them the tools has been the biggest thing understanding how to vet people under finding people that are equally as passionate and and passionate in the right way i'll bet too sure because this has got to be really attractive to people, I mean, it's like being a pot critic. You you answered how many times? You know, hey, how do I become a pot critic, right? God, yes. <laughs> I still get them. So still people want to know. I'm like, the job hasn't existed in a year and a half, but let's let's see what we can do for you. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's always so much more unglamorous than it appears from the outside. Sure. It's like anyone who works in event management. You know, like doing events, people think, oh, God, events. I love going to events. They're so fun. It's like work behind the scenes of one that'll either you'll go. Yep. I know exactly what I need to do or I'm never doing this again. That's why we have all of these black, just stacks of black linens here because we're doing events now too. But for me, the data part was such a key because if we weren't, creating anything new out of this, then we're fundamentally no different from any other company that comes in, you know, uh, launches their contest here, walks out with a big stack of cash and says, thanks, we'll see you again next year. And we needed to come up with something that was better, something that moved the industry forward. And whenever anyone starts a business, I always tell them to watch Simon Sinek's why, that your business needs to have a why before it has anything. And ours was always to be the data company that was going to change cannabis. And being able to start pinpointing where this data was interesting to find entirely new sources of data that we didn't understand going into it. Sure. One of them being all of this human capital. We have worked with over 300 grow teams at this point. Everyone is dying to get into cannabis. Nobody understands how. No one understands how to get placed. And so being able to start working with growers and saying, hey, there's an opportunity in North Dakota and it pays this. Do you want to go out there? Uh, being able to work with the Minority Cannabis Business Association and try and find meaningful apprenticeships and and mentorships where people of color can come in and learn cannabis cultivation, which is one of the areas of this industry with the most upward mobility. 
that's been massively rewarding. That's cool. So being able to tap into this whole, we, we never thought that the data or the, the human component would also turn into another data set. It's wow. so weird. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, and the, <laughs> the, the why thing is, is really compelling to me. And it resonated with me because anytime I take on a new client and they say, you know, we, we want to do some PR, we want to enhance our communications. I always ask them why. And I say, if, if what you're doing is not tied to your bottom line, then don't do it. Like, just don't even have a program. Like, is your business good? You know, are you getting leads? Are you whatever it is that you're trying to achieve? Is that happening absent this? How will this enhance that? And how will this, you know, change something about the fundamentals of your business? If you can't answer that, then just don't do it. Sure. Like, you, you'll just be, you'll be doing a thing to do a thing. And that's not worth anyone's time. So whenever we talk to our sponsors about where they're putting their marketing budget, because we have a big ask, we say, Hey, you're going to be with us for the next six months. You have an opportunity to meet all of these growers where they work, where they live. Uh, you, you get to interact with them at these parties. What, what are you doing right now? And they say, well, we have this magazine ad and we've taken out a full page over this. And I'm like, who's going and picking up a magazine to figure out where they're going to get their point of sale ser- like <laughs> terminal. It just doesn't, <laughs> Because everyone is so locked into these traditional modes. Right. And it's when comedians tell me, God, I really need a new website. Who's finding you on your website? You need a place to host your headshot, your bio, and a clip. That's it. No, people are so backwards and they want to spend all of this time doing what everybody has always told them to do as opposed to where they're actually seeing the results. Right. Well, talking to Alan Brooks at one point, do you know Alan? Alan's a really good guy. He wrote this uh, graphic novel called The Burning Metronome. Okay. And aspiring writers come up to him all the time. And, you know, they say, I really want to be a writer. And I have this idea. And he goes, all right, well, write it. And this person will go, well, I think I need business cards first. And he goes, <laughs> he goes yeah, definitely. Just get a business card. Have it say writer on it. Yeah. That must make you a writer. You know? It's like you're a comedian – you need a website. Uh, yeah, that must make you a comedian. <laughs> totally. Like, you, you're exactly right. You're focusing on all the wrong kind of details. Like, these, these are things that you need to check the box for. Like, eventually, as you're established, you, you'll need to – it's like, well, where's your website? Where's your headshot? Where's that? Sure. But, no, you got to get out there and create first. So, I mean, that's exactly what you're speaking to. There's no one that's like, man, my comedy career – Took off once that website was up. It was a gorgeous website. <laughs> Cost me like ten grand. It was fully responsive, mobile ready, and man, did bookers love it. Like, <laughs> no, get spend the money that you would spend on a website getting a really good five minute clip of you. Have have yeah. somebody come out with two cameras so that you can switch totally. shots. Actually, mic the audience for for uh, laughter. I mean. And it's... and upload it to the like the platforms that exist for free. Yeah, I mean, get out. It's I... too easy. Um, so we just we spend a lot of time trying to say what's more important: having FaceTime with qualified leads, or to spend ten thousand dollars on your trade show booth, flying all of your employees out oh, there, God. building the fucking booth. And then taking your clients that are already are on <laughs> the already existing clients out for two thousand dollar expense report dinners, <laughs> right? What, what, where are you going to get more value? Yeah, how, how is that enhancing your bottom line instead of just subtracting from it? Exactly, yeah. but it's everyone. But it's a paradigm shift. If I though. don't show up at the at the conference and nobody sees our booth, then we're we're as good right. as dead. And it's like, no, you're just too cool for it. Well, dude, what's funny is, I mean, we talked about this right before we went on mic. 
which is you know there's there's like the the professional aspect there's like the actual work aspect which is what that's that's your strong value proposition that's what you guys are coming with and then there's the schmoozing aspect and some people just sort of like the window dressing and people live for the window dressing and i fucking hate that shit like i hate it dude i can't i can't do it i'd rather like okay if i'm expending personal capital if i'm spending time and i'm spending money it's got to have a strong value proposition it tells us really quickly who of our sponsors have closers on their team ah. because there are a lot of people that are really good at doing the schmooze. but And they're super visible. Mm-hmm. Like, like you see them out there and they're there all the time. And they're talking to everyone. But yeah, at the end of the day, what are they bringing in? They're, they're hoping that they can create that gravitational pull to them. Mm-hmm. And when they can't do that... Or when it comes to really having to do strong objection handling, talking to somebody and connecting with them on a one-to-one level, and then being able to give them a reason to use your product without it sounding super pitchy. We have – I know the guys that work with us that can do that. I know the guys that have to buy the $2,000 dinner to hit that table. And so it's really important to – we've just been radically candorous with people when it comes to who on their team is worth sending out to be with us and who isn't. Yeah. So, okay. You kind of answered this, but I'm going to put it a different way. Sure. (laughs) Um, You've, you've been in this industry now working in dispensaries, working as the pod critic and now as co-founder of the grow off. What are the things that bug you most about cannabis culture? Whoa. When I, see companies creating products, the products that they create are not for most consumers. And everyone wants to pitch to the most vocal minority, which are people that want super potent cannabis that is quote unquote loud. And because there are a lot of people out there that are using so much cannabis for recreational purposes that they don't get high anymore. Oh, and geez. so they need like stronger and stronger stuff. I mean, it's it's addiction mentality. Uh-huh. And so it was like if the alcohol industry was being run by by what alcoholics were saying <laughs> in alleyways, where it's like, oh man, if only this Everclear was 107% alcohol. <laughs> like, right. It doesn't make any sense because there is a huge, huge un- underserved market right now of boomers uh, who don't want super strong pot. No. They want the stuff that they used to smoke back in the day and can have a whole joint of it without feeling paranoid or like sleepy, lethargic. Right. And then, and, and like dumb. Like, yeah, just like, uh, I'm not myself right now. Right, right. They want cannabis as a way to elevate their normal experience as opposed to becoming the only experience. Ah. And you have that very much with millennials now too that are, are less interested in the, buying of the weed and then you have to grind it up and then you have to find your implement and then load that and they're the k-cup generation Uh. (laughs) it's the exact same thing with coffee right yeah that for somebody who is loves a great cup of coffee they're going to source the right beans they're going to put it in their perfect grinder then they have a special temperature in their press and it all goes and they they have they have variations on each single one of those things absolutely to to create the right experience for that particular moment but they're so far up their own asses about it that like that's what they love sure and more power to them and And then you have people that want to put the k-cup in there 
close yeah. it down and push a button. I just and want some fucking coffee. Yeah. That's vaporizer technology and people that don't we have a tendency to to project our own experience on the different generations mm-hmm. of the well, because it was so hard for me to find really strong pot when I was growing up and we had to smoke all of the stems and seeds stuff. That that's what everybody's going to want now. But a lot of people didn't have that shared experience with us. Right. There are kids that are that will only ever know going to a dispensary and having 40 different options to choose from. And that's their experience, right? Yeah. And so instead of trying it, – it's just it's so, it's so focused on a vocal minority as opposed to what the potential of right. this industry is. I, I think that's a great point, and it reminds me of the craft beer industry too. Mm-hmm. Because you've got a lot of people who want, you know, like crazy imperial stouts, barrel aged, you know, with all sorts of crazy adjuncts added to it, um, or, you know, super potent double IPAs, you know, 12, 13%. You know, this is exactly what you're talking about. And then there, there's a whole group of people who go, can I just get some fucking beer flavored beer? Yeah, can I have just a session, a, a session beer? Like, do, do you guys have like a lager or a pilsner? Sure. You know, and, and you'll see people at, at breweries looking for that. It's like, you don't hear it as much anymore, but you used to hear, do you have any normal beer here? Do you remember that? <laughs> like any- That's so funny. <laughs> well, I think about Gladwell tells this story about how, I believe it's Gladwell, about how pasta sauce was made. And mm. for like decades, the only thing that was on the shelf was Prego. And people thought that was what they wanted until they were given choice, right? Yeah. And And they go, oh, well... I didn't know that I wanted this other thing until it was introduced to me. But then you have kind of the opposite where the way that people talk about coffee, people, if you give them like descriptors, like, oh, I want a bold, dark roast that is rich. A lot of people go, oh, well, those sound like keywords that I like. But when (laughs) the average person goes to get a cup of coffee, they're like, one coffee, please. (laughs) You know, they don't need any of these crazy adjectives. Like Dr. Marketed to is just, it's, it's wild. (laughs) The way you said that, I know you're a big Futurama fan. Reminded (laughs) me of Dr. Zoidberg going, one art, please. (laughs) One art. He's doing rich people stuff. Yeah. <laughs> One art, please. So, goose liver, fish eggs. <laughs> hot dogs for me and my friends. <laughs> rich people eat the garbage parts of the animal. What do you want? <laughs> I love that you're saying this in front of my uh, Futurama. Oh, hell yeah. Planet Express ship Planet is Express. right behind me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. So it's funny. You've, uh, you've shed these side hustles mm-hmm. and the grow off is sustaining you. Yeah. We've been profitable since the second week. <laughs> Fat. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. We are now to the point where we did more markets than we ever had in 2018. We expand to cover Colorado, California, Oregon, and nationwide in Canada this wow. year. So nice. we're not only growing, but we're also being able to bring on some really amazing talent, too, and people that are buying into what we do and being able to start expanding and having a team and finding ways to motivate them and to – these are whole new challenges that I am really excited about. Yeah. But it's, it's paying our bills. It's giving us a ton of opportunity to travel, to do what we love. We get to throw fun parties where all of our favorite people get to show up and we just try and give them an experience. And I never thought that this would be the idea that would take off. 
Oh yeah, but it never is, is it? No, because you're you're just you're failing and hopefully failing up every time. Yeah. But I look at like Hempbox and I'm like, oh, we had the perfect idea if we were three years later than we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we learned a lot about you know being early to market or to understanding what are what the pressure points that we didn't see coming were. So I just posted something the other day about how I'm really proud of all my friends that are doing MLMs because yeah, I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, MLMs suck, and and they're mm. some of my least favorite people to deal with. But at least <laughs> you're going, hey, I want to try to have my own business, and you're going to fail at it because 95 percent of people that try MLMs fail. Uh, the other of like four percent die, and then there's that one percent that get the Mercedes. <laughs> and but it, it's the opportunity to say. Hey, I'm going to learn a lot of tough lessons. Right. People are going to tell me that my idea is bad and I should feel bad. And <laughs> you just keep going and keep pushing and, and learn the lessons. And eventually you will have something that feels like your own, or you'll at least be able to say that you tried. Hell yeah, dude. Um, one of my favorite songs, Garfunkel and Oates. Uh, go listen to it. It's called Loser. And it's, it's one of the most um, oddly inspiring songs. <laughs> Well, that I mean, that sounds like Garfunkel and Oates, like oddly inspiring, right? Did I say it wrong? Is it? Um, it's the two, the um, Kate Micucci. Yeah, and, yeah, that's okay, Garfunkel cool. and Oates. I always forget if I'm saying the actual band name. Uh, it's part of getting old. Is you <laughs> forget <laughs> names of things? You just, you're like, oh, it's like that Simon and Garfunkel song. Yeah, Loser. that would have been way wrong. <laughs> yeah. And Hall and Oates. Okay, those were the. That's the portmanteau. Right. No, no, Garfunkel <laughs> and Oates. You're right. Um, God, God damn. Um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. I think this is the time in the show when we do plugs. Sweet. Where can people find you? Where can they find the Grow Off? Plug anything you want, man. Go to thegrowoff.com. We will soon be launching thegrowoff.ca for any of your Canadian listeners. And then at the Grow I'm Off. I'm huge in on, Canada. Yes. Uh, at the Grow Off on any channel. Our Instagram is really awesome if you want to be able to follow the journey of just what does a cannabis plant look like from start to finish in indoor, outdoor, greenhouse? We've got it all there. And we're also going to be releasing some more data around that. And then um, YouTube channel is starting to pick up a little bit. We've got some fun videos just of the parties that we've thrown, things like that. And the Grow Off Jobs will be launching in wow. March. We'll be doing our first job fair in Los Angeles or Desert Hot Springs. We may be, <laughs> we may be doing a Coachella crossover. Oh, geez. All right. <laughs> we, yeah, there might be a, a Grow Off stage at Coachella this year. So wow. come find us there. <laughs> wow, dude. Do you remember the first event where we met each other in person? No. What was it? Offensively Delicious. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. With, uh, I still have that little uh, – my glass from that. Yeah, yeah. With uh, Kinane. Yeah. And Sam Talent was there. And oh, uh, so fun. I think Kate and Holland performed at that, too. I don't Checks remember. Out. <laughs> but uh, – I was so, so drunk. Yeah. That'll happen. Yeah. Oh, they, I mean, we, it was a beer fest. It was GABF week. And the coolest thing is that somebody gave me their little uh, their tasting book that was one of the things that inspired me to double down on how do I learn more about nice. using my olfactory receptors to get better at my job. Awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, I'll tell you what. Ever since then, uh, I'm glad that we have gotten in the same orbit, or at least touch orbits from time to time. Yeah. What uh, do you want to plug? Uh, <laughs> it's my show. I'll plug it later. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it i'll do that all in the intro and the outro that's beautiful that's coming but uh 
but yeah, dude, um, it's uh, it's a pleasure to to get to be uh, at least a little bit of part of this and uh, help tell the story. And I wish you continued success, dude. Thank you so much for reaching out. This you is bet, awesome. man. Thanks. I hope that was an audible touching of hands. Yeah, no, we good. actually shook hands there. That was solid. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jake. Thank you. That wraps up episode two hundred four of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Jake Brown. It's a pleasure hanging out with you. Exciting to see what you're doing. I can't wait to see what's next. You can find Jake Brown's contact info. You can find out more info about the Grow Off on the John of All Trades website. That's J-O-N of All Trades.us. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Training, content, engagement, podcasting. I'm on social media. J-O-A-T Pod is the handle. That's for Facebook. Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. They're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever podcasts are available, and of course, the homepage. Episode previews go up on Monday, and we typically do first jobs. I hope you enjoyed Jake's first job, flaming out of a TGI Fridays in Iowa. That was enormously entertaining. That's plugged on Facebook and LinkedIn now. We've got a ton of episodes coming your way. We've got guests booked for the next few weeks. Stay tuned to those social media channels and the John of All Trades homepage for brand new content. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcaster, hit that subscribe button. New episodes will come directly to you. I can't wait to hear you back here again. And until I do, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak.